0: Thank you for joining us today. My name is Brandon Arnold with the Cato Institute. Um, Before we get started, just a couple quick housekeeping notes. Uh, First of all, this is probably uh, heresy on Capitol Hill, but if I could ask everybody to turn off their cell phones and Blackberries, I would appreciate it. Uh, It does mess with the the audio here, and we we would like to record this event, so we'll have it up uh, on the website, uh, cato.org, for other people to view. Secondly, I'd just like to point out a couple quick uh, Cato products. First of all, the uh, Cato Handbook on Policy is a publication we uh, issue periodically. Uh, It's pretty much an overview of of most of the issues you'll deal with here on Capitol Hill, issues like immigration, uh, Social Security, budgetary issues, uh, civil liberties, fighting the war on terror, pretty much everything uh, you deal with here uh, on the hill. It's a good way to kind of get a libertarian uh, Cato perspective on these issues as you're familiarizing yourself with them. Um, additionally, we publish a uh, daily email newsletter called Cato Today. Uh, we'd be happy to sign, that, sign you up for that if you'd like. Um, just kind of gives you a rundown of what's going on at the Cato Institute, new policy papers, um, events like this one, highlights from our blog, um, just the, a general rundown of what's going on at the Cato Institute. Um, With that, I'll go ahead and introduce our first speaker today. I know he's got a very busy schedule, as you uh, are no doubt not surprised to hear. Um, Senator Judd Gregg of New Hampshire. Uh, I think he needs very little introduction. This is his third term in the Senate. Uh, He previously was the governor of New Hampshire and uh, also served in uh, the House of Representatives. Uh, He is certainly one of the foremost leaders on fiscal responsibility uh, in his role as ranking member on the Budget Committee, and he is also a leader on on this issue, which we're here to talk about today, which, uh, of course, is immigration and um, reforming the the visa system to allow highly skilled workers into our country. With that, I'll turn things over to Senator Gregg.
1: I appreciate having a chance to speak a little bit about the H-1B issue. It's an issue I've been very interested in for a long time, and my interest arrives from what I like to think of as Yankee common sense. Uh, We in New Hampshire believe that we're competitive because we're smarter than everybody else. Uh, And we produce products which are at the cutting edge and which other countries can't produce because we're able to produce them because we have the intellectual capability to do that. We don't have any natural resources in New Hampshire. We don't have oil. We don't have agricultural products. What we have is brain power. And that's really uh, not only New Hampshire, but it's this nation. We obviously have lots of natural resources, but what we, re- what we really have is the value added that comes from being smart and being able to compete, in, especially in, the, in a world that is so technologically oriented. And so it just makes common sense that we should, as a nation, be looking to attract into our nation, since we are a nation of immigrants, the best and the brightest from around the world. Uh, we should be going out and saying to f- the best and the brightest of the world, come to the United States, be creative, and generate economic activity, and take advantage of the opportunities that are here. Obviously, uh, to do that, we have to have an entry system into our nation which allows and encourages that. And that's where the H-1B program comes along. Uh, Our historic approach to immigration in in this country has been to basically want to attract people, uh, good people who want to take advantage of the American dream, and then to say after they've come here, Let's bring your families in. Well, what, what I think makes a little more sense is that's a good policy for the underlying policy, but let's, let's couple it with and let's increase its impact by saying let's also attract smart people, people who are successful, people who are undertaking the intellectual efforts that you're going to drive an economy. Uh, Bill Gates, when he talks about this, says that for every – Person that you bring in of that type of caliber who has the capacity to add intellectual horsepower to our nation, that person creates up to five jobs. So it's not like we're taking jobs from Americans, which is what you hear from labor unions, that we're actually creating jobs by bringing bright people into this country. So it's just a fairly obvious thing to me and common sense that we sh- as a nation should be wanting to have the best and the brightest in the world, be in our country contributing to our national economic growth rather than be outside the country competing with our national economic growth. And so the H-1B program is, of course, the vehicle to do this. It's not a huge program as it's presently structured, of course. It allows 65,000 people to come in every year and then another 20,000 of advanced degree individuals, which is far less than what the demand is. Every time the H-1B program opens up, within a day, two years ago, and within a week, just this last time, all the applications are taken up for the visas. And so there is the demand there, and we know we can attract people through this program. So what we're suggesting is to basically adjust these programs to reflect the demand and to reflect the benefit, Uh, to say that we want people who merit coming into the United States, and to say that we're willing to bring in more people under these programs. There are three different bills to accomplish this. Uh, One would just simply increase the number of visas available to about 150. One would recapture the visas that were unused in other areas and also increase the number of H-1B visas and uh, higher degree visas. And the third uh, would take the lottery system, which we presently have, which makes absolutely no sense, and says that if you're a cab driver in the Ukraine, you have an equally good opportunity of getting into the United States as if you're a physicist from the Ukraine, and reorient the lottery system towards, benefit, towards uh, favoring those people with uh, degrees in areas that we think we as a nation need them. Uh, all three of these initiatives, in my opinion, make sense, and I regret that they haven't passed. Uh, there's been a movement to try to pass them a number of times in various forms between myself and other people. Uh, Senator Anson plays a big role in this. Senator Cantwell has played an aggressive role in this. But they have, we've always been stymied, unfortunately, by organized labor's basic view that uh, the expansion of the H-1B program uh, is going to somehow undermine American jobs, which makes no sense at all. There has, of course, been, as there is with most federal programs, some abuse, and uh, especially involving uh, Indian-related companies and their basic flooding of the market uh, in this area, and then having people return uh, to India with knowledge that they've learned gained here. Uh, that, that can be corrected fairly easily and with minor adjustments in the program and uh, the bills which are proposed here will accomplish that. So I'm hopeful that common sense will prevail, Yankee common sense will prevail, and we as a country will recognize and as a government specifically will recognize that getting smart people to come to the United States uh, works to our benefit at all sorts of different levels Uh, and it makes no sense for us not to be attracting these people in the United States rather than having them working in another country where they end up being competitors. And that's my thoughts, and I'd be happy to take any questions if anybody has any. Yes.
2: Hearing uh, uh, yesterday on the H-2B visas, some members of the House said that um, the visa system, the H-2B visas, H B one visas aren't a problem, that the lack of comprehensive immigration reform is a problem, and um, they're going to stay focused on that. And so long as there's a focus on comprehensive immigration reform, can these, other, these smaller efforts like increasing the caps or um, getting the uh, returning worker program provision added back to the H-2B visa program, can they, ever, can they get through?
1: Can they be passed? I think they should be passed, independent of comprehensive reform. Uh, any f- comprehensive reform is probably going to pick up some of the issues which I've just discussed relative to H-1B and obviously H-2B also, but we shouldn't wait. I mean, every day that we leave... The next great software mind in China developing software is being, instead of being here developing software, is a day that we become less competitive as a country. Uh, so, comprehensive immigration reform is a long way down the road. We know that because we've already gone around this barn a couple times. Uh, clearly, not until the next presidency will there be any movement in that area. Uh, so, we can do this H 1B reform, uh, which is really not a major exercise, doesn't involve a lot of people. We're talking an additional 50 to 60,000 people at the most, uh, all of whom will add dramatically to our economic activity. However, and create a lot of jobs, we can do that independent of comprehensive reform. Anybody else got any thoughts or questions? That's great. I must have answered everybody's questions. This is a brilliant presentation. Thank you very much. And thank you, Cato.
0: Well, our next speaker is Dan Griswold. Dan is the director of the Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, where he researches a number of issues, certainly trade, uh, also uh, immigration and, and other issues pertaining to globalization. Uh, prior to joining the Cato Institute, he actually did spend a, a couple years on Capitol Hill as a press secretary, and uh, he has also spent time as the editorial page editor for a newspaper in Colorado, the Colorado Springs Gazette. With that, I'll turn things over to Dan
2: honored to be here today. It's a very important subject, and I'm glad to follow uh, Senator Gregg. He uh, has shown great leadership on this issue, and he has a great uh, great voting record in terms of supporting the freedom of Americans to engage uh, in the global economy. You can visit our, our website, freetrade.org, and look at our trade vote records feature and look up his voting record, and you'll see that it's one of the best in Congress in terms of supporting not just the freedom to trade but also of uh, of immigration. Well. Immigrants play an important role in the success of America's free market, high-tech economy, and nowhere more so than in high-skilled immigrants who have come to the United States over the years. Some of America's most successful, important companies have had immigrants as co-founders. Google, Intel, Sun Microsystems, uh, the list goes on. There was a study last year by the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University that found that 25% 25% of the high-tech and engineering startups in the United States from 1995 to 2005 had an immigrant as a, as a key uh, co-founder. One quarter of the international patents filed from the United States uh, had a, an immigrant as the co-inventor uh, of that. So clearly they play an important role in our high-tech economy. And American companies must be able to compete in the global marketplace for the best talent uh, available. Our producers need to hire the right workers with the right skills uh, to meet the changing demands of their customers. We know Canada and Britain and Australia and Singapore are out there uh, attracting this talent. Increasingly India and China are becoming more attractive for their high skilled workers to stay there or after being educated in the United States and the West uh, going back there so the competition is intensifying. We used to be the only place to come. That isn't true anymore and yet we're making it increasingly difficult for these workers to come here. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics projects that over the next decade we'll add a net one million new jobs uh, in, in engineering, computers, uh, and other high-skilled occupations at a time when frankly the, the number of native-born Americans coming out of college uh, would degrees and graduate degrees in these areas is woefully uh, inadequate. Uh, Leaders of the current Congress talk about maintaining our competitiveness in the global marketplace, and yet they've done virtually nothing. They have left this absurd cap of effectively 85,000 H-1B visas a year uh, in place, Uh, no uh, discernible movement uh, of the leadership to raise the cap. And as the senator said, we saw earlier this month dramatic evidence of what a straitjacket this cap is imposing on the U.S. economy. The the visa applications open up on April 1st. That's kind of appropriate. It's become a kind of April Fool's joke. Uh, But within a week, uh, the visas were gone, and the fiscal year doesn't kick in for six months. Um, And this has happened for the last uh, couple of years. As the Senator mentioned, Bill Gates testified before Congress in March. And one of the things he pointed out is that All the visas are gone a month or two before the next class of graduating engineers is even out of school with their diplomas. So they're looking elsewhere. And this at a time when over half of the master's degrees in electrical engineering in the United States are awarded to foreign-born students. And 2 thirds of the PhDs in electrical engineering are awarded to foreign-born students. Before they even graduate, our visas have run out. And obviously, they have to look uh, elsewhere, which is uh, our, our lost. The Economist magazine this week, I think rightly, calls our uh, H-1B uh, visa cap a policy of self-sabotage. That's what we're doing to our economy. Uh, restricting H-1B visas only restricts the ability of U.S. companies to expand their production uh, here in the United States. If U.S. companies can't find the skilled workers they need here in the United States... It's understandable. They're going to be go looking elsewhere for those workers. The capital is going to seek uh, the labor, the appropriate labor, uh, to meet the needs of, of the marketplace. And this gives U.S. companies only one more reason to consider outsourcing and, uh, and offshoring. Uh, and it's a, a absurd and, and contradictory for U.S. Mem- members of Congress to scold businesses for looking to offshore when at the same time, uh, they've dramatically restricted their ability to bring talent here to the United States to expand their production uh, at home. Uh, in his testimony in March, Bill Gates uh, said this. It's a short quote. Many U.S. firms, including Microsoft, have been forced to locate staff in countries that welcome skilled foreign workers to do work that could otherwise have been done here in the United States if it were not for our counterproductive immigration policies. And, and those aren't just words. You know, Microsoft has... Uh, opened up a software development operation in Vancouver in Canada because in Canada you can bring in the workers you need uh, to get get the job done. And so the bottom line is, as the senator pointed out, H-1B workers complement U.S. workers. They don't compete directly against U.S. workers. They complement them and create opportunities uh, for U.S. workers uh, in the high-tech sector. And by the way, um, and this should get the ears of members of, of Congress, High-skilled immigrants make good taxpayers. Uh, the National Research Council a few years ago uh, studied the fiscal impact of high-skilled immigrants. Those with more than a high school degree, not just the immigrants, but their kids who are often very successful onto uh, following generations. And they found that every high-skilled immigrant we allow into the United States permanently, uh, the fiscal, the net fiscal impact of they and their children in a net present value, bringing it forward to the present. $198,000. It's like a one-time $198,000 payment to the federal government. If we just allowed 200,000 green cards a year to high-skilled immigrants, it would be the equivalent in that year of retiring almost $40 billion in federal debt. Uh, it, it does seem to be Yankee common sense. Uh, contrary to what the critics say, including uh, uh, the, the union critics American companies do not fire U.S. workers in order to hire H-1B workers. You hear these anecdotes, but there's no evidence uh, that it's going on in any kind of systematic fashion. First, by law, you have to pay the H-1B workers uh, the going market rate, and we uh, published a study at Cato a few years ago, I think you have a copy of it, that found instances of companies underpaying these H-1B workers are are very rare. Uh, And secondly, when you think of it, in a competitive labor market that's very hard to happen if a if a worker is producing a certain value for the company and they're systematically underpaying them there's nothing to prevent another company from bidding that worker away and allowing the worker to realize the full marginal product the full uh, uh, value uh, of their work and that evidence is that's what happens uh, in in the marketplace <clears throat> Employment in the information technology sector is held pretty steady at about uh, three three million over the last uh, few years after dropping during the dot com bus and the unemployment rate among engineers and other uh, high tech uh, professionals is somewhere in the neighborhood of three percent i mean that is rock bottom it 's just frictional unemployment of people leaving one job and moving to another so there 's absolutely no evidence that the h one b program is leading to any kind of uh, systematic uh, unemployment or underemployment among our high-skilled professionals, and, and their wages have held pretty steady, and they're very competitive. They're one of the, one of the most best-paid uh, professional classes uh, in in the United States. And, of course, third, U.S. companies pay a premium for hiring an H-1B uh, worker. When you add up uh, the government fees, the lawyer fees, and we have some H-1B workers at, at Cato, uh, I, I know of what I'm, I'm talking about, you're, you're coming up to in the paperwork and the travel costs. You're talking about a premium uh, out of the box for hiring an H-1B worker of six to $10,000 before she even shows up for her first day of work. You pay that premium. So clearly there's a strong incentive for American companies, if they can, to hire native-born uh, Americans uh, for, for these jobs or, or U.S. citizens here. Uh, if what the critics said were true, you would see... H-1B visas applications rising during difficult economic economic times as uh, companies are trying to cut costs and and save costs, when in fact the exact opposite happens. When the uh, bottom fell out of the IT industry after the dot-com bubble burst, applications for H-1B visas plunged. Uh, In the fiscal years of 2002 and 2003, there were a total of more than 200,000 unused, unclaimed uh, visas uh, in in those two years. U.S. companies apply for H-1B visas only when they need the additional workers with the uh, specific skills, and they cannot find it, uh, that worker, in, in the marketplace. And by the way, this is a textbook example of why we don't want Congress micromanaging our labor market policy. Uh, in the fall of 2000, just as the bottom was falling out of the high-tech industry they tripled the cap to 195000 That That was the right thing to do. Just their timing could have been better. Uh, and then just as the industry was recovering in 2003 and 2004, they let the cap fall. So it was just the absolute worst timing. And now that cap is increasingly constricting the ability of our high-tech industry to compete in global markets. Well, to conclude, for the good of the U.S. economy and America's technological leadership in the world. Congress needs to dramatically increase or better yet abolish the cap on H-1B visas. They need to expand the green cards so that uh, the workers that become a permanent part of our uh, productive uh, high-tech sector uh, can stay here uh, permanently. We basically need to stop uh, self-sabotaging our future. Thank you.